Well, good morning. So if you're here in a chair, you can already claim victory over two things today. One, you figured out how to set your clock ahead and your alarm. So that's a victory one. And two, you've overcome the fear of coronavirus, right? So, woo! Um, no, that should be taken seriously. I don't want to downplay it at all. But at the same time, I'm glad you, you come to, to, to worship and uh, we're glad you're here so that we can worship our Lord together. So um, last week, I had a stick man up here, and so we've upgraded, and we've got some live people. So this is great. <clears throat> we did forget the, uh, there were a few things that we probably could have added, but I really appreciate it. We got some volunteers. Each one of them, I gave a backstory this week, and they're going to present each of those backstories. Uh, they're stories that I wrote for them. So I want you to know that because some of you might listen to them and go, I didn't know that about them. It's not about them, okay? It's just, <laughs> some of them might go, no, that really fits. I don't know. Just, but, but you're going to listen to their backstories and, and there's a point to all of it. So go ahead and listen. And we're going to start with Amy. She's going to start us off and uh, let you go for it there. I was born in a home that had little spiritual influence. I never went to church. My dad, when I did see him, just made fun of Christians and other religions. When I was 15, I found out I could make money sleeping with strangers. So that's what I did. I didn't really like it. It made me feel dirty. I got pregnant a couple times. I knew that I'd lose business if I carried a child, so I chose to abort both children. I didn't really like that either. You, wouldn't, you want to know what I think about God? I don't see him in our world today. I see a mess, so how can there be a God in all this? I was born into a Christian home. We went to church about two to three times a month. When I was younger, my mom and dad seemed to be pretty happy, but then something changed. Dad wasn't around a lot, and mom always seemed sad. Eventually, dad moved out. My family was gone, so I started hanging out more with some kids at school who were in similar situations. We started ooh, lost my spot. We started by hanging out on the weekends, then started drinking, and pretty soon one of my friends had some meth. We tried it, and ever since I've been hooked. You want to know what I think about God? He hasn't helped me one bit. If he is out there, he is not someone I want anything to do with. I was raised by two loving moms, and from the time I was little, they encouraged me to be my own person. They took me to several different churches so I could learn all the different faiths and see if there was one that fit. I worked hard to receive the best education I could and am committed to helping our community be the best and the most loving community to people of all races, genders, and orientations. You want to know what I think about God? He's who you want him to be. He loves everyone, and there really isn't any one right way to view God. He's there to help me be the best I can be. My story, we were in church all the time. Whenever the doors were open, we were there. We'd sit down, we'd come and sit in the chairs, and we'd hear those Bible stories, all the appropriate ones anyway. Didn't hear about all the interesting ones. And we had a Bible program on Wednesday nights, and uh, I'd earn badges, stickers, the scratch and sniff ones. Uh, it's like, ooh, raspberry, ugh, vomit. What? <laughs> You tricked me. That's not nice. But uh, 
But I, I learned the Bible. I memorized uh, those verses. I went off to Bible college, uh, learned the Bible, uh, New Testament, Old Testament. They even had us read the Apocrypha. You ought to check out Tobit. It's quite a, quite a ride. Um, do you know what I think about God? I, I think he's got a good plan. Uh, but we do, we do well, and he rewards us, uh, and life goes well, but then we blow it, and we mess up, and he makes us feel bad, really guilty. So we go to church and pray and reach out to God again. Hopefully he helps us. Well, you guys go ahead and stay up here for a moment because I just want to ask a couple questions. Sorry, I'll move this over, give you guys a little more space here. A couple questions uh, to you out there. As you guys hear about their backstories, just a couple thoughts I have for you. First, this question, can anyone, or can God save anyone? And I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think in, in, a, in a group like this, I'm going to get at least 90% yes, okay? Maybe more than that, right? Now, let this question simmer a little bit. Don't answer it right away. Uh, but think about this. Does your backstory change how you're viewed in the church? Does your backstory change how you're viewed in the church? Does your backstory change how you might influence other people in the church, be used in the church, and those types of things? So some of you might say yes, some of you might say no. It shouldn't, but it does. Uh, all those types of things. So each one has a backstory here or is representing somebody else's story maybe. And then, of course, they have their own. And you have yours. Do you feel like that has made a difference in how you're viewed in the church? Well, thank you, guys. You guys can give them a round of applause if you'd like to. They did a fantastic job. So uh, I didn't write all of Tim's. He ad-libbed a little bit there. So. That's all right. Well, here's why I wanted to start off with that. We've already established so far as we've gone into Romans that uh, everyone, both Jew and Gentile, is a sinner, right? Um, it doesn't matter what your background is, Jew or Gentile, you're a sinner. Now we're going to take a look at how everyone is saved the same way, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter what your background is. And here's why. The Jews thought, I think that they were, they were pretty special. I mean, after all, they had the Old Testament to learn from. And then they, they had Jesus, who himself was a Jew, and they had this guy named Abraham who was promised the covenant to not only be the father of, uh, of the Jews, but many nations. And then they had Moses, then they had the nation of Israel, and they had great kings like David and Solomon and some of those. And so their history was great, and they knew their history, and they even knew the families that they were tied to and everything. And so it would be easy for them in a church situation, in a new church, where you've got both Jews and Gentiles, it would be easy for them to think of themselves as, you know, a, a notch above. When you're starting to make decisions in the church, well, we have a, we have a little better background to make decisions with. We have our Jewish background, our Jewish faith. 
And we have that one thing that we're going to talk about today even more. We have that thing called circumcision, which for us is kind of like, why do we have to talk so much about that? But it's there in the Bible, right? And, and it was given to Abraham as a covenant and an agreement with Abraham. And as that was given to Abraham, he, he went ahead and, and, and as an older man, he performed circumcision. And then from there forward, it was supposed to be every male born eight days later would be circumcised. And that would put a sign and a seal on them that they were set apart for God. They had a special seal. So when it came to the early church, and the church is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, you can see where the Jews might think to themselves, we're kind of a a notch above. In fact, as you talk about all four here, none of them made a profession of faith. I don't know if you caught that. None of them made a profession of faith. Even the one with all the Bible training didn't make a profession of faith. But I think a lot of us would look at that one and go, he's one that could be saved or could get saved and then be more influential in the church. And that can be dangerous. And that could be a little bit like what the Jews were, were facing here. Well, as we go through our service today, I just want to remind you of this. At the end, we're going to do our text questions. So you can grab that number if you'd like to as, you're going through the mes- as we're going through the message. If you have a question, feel free. You can write it down and, uh, and text it to that number. And we'll either try to answer it here with about five minutes at the end or we'll do a video through the week and put it out on Thursday night and answer it at that point. Let's get into our text. We're in Romans chapter 4 today, verses 9 through 12. We're taking a little bit smaller section today. We've gone through chapter 4, 1 through 8, and we've talked about how Abraham was in fact uh, declared righteous because of his faith and not his works. We're continuing to build that. Someone would actually have the question at that point, if he was declared righteous because of his faith, then why was he circumcised? And what does circumcision have to do with the Jewish faith? And so Paul deals with that as he goes into verse 9 of chapter 4. And this is what he has to say. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Okay. Is it only for those who have been committed to God and on the eighth day, or maybe they were converted later on, but on the eighth day they were circumcised, they were set aside, and these are the Jews, these are the people, these are God's people. Is this blessing only for them? Or is it also for the uncircumcised, the, uh, the Gentiles? Okay. We're going we're gonna to hear this word a lot, and so just, just get comfortable with the word circumcision. All right, because he talks about it a lot in here. So he goes, is it for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Now there's three words I want to take a look at before we move forward. The word credit, which comes from the word legitimai. It's where we get our English word logic or logical. That means all evidence leads you to a reasonable logical conclusion. That's what the word in the Greek means. Now we use the word credit, which is kind of a seems like a shorter definition here. But the idea is that if you go back and you look at it, all of the evidence has led us to this conclusion. And we're talking about Abraham, so we'll, we'll look at that in the, uh, the, the context. The second word we want to take a look at is circumcision, which I mentioned already, but it's the original covenant made with Abraham for all male descendants to physically show they belong to God or Yahweh. Okay? 
Now, it's not something they would show as an adult. That was something that would happen when they were younger. They were eight years of age. They go through the practice. It's something they would say, yes, this child is set aside. Right? And then righteous. Word comes, daikayasune. Uh, it's a judicial approval or divine approval or what God has decided is right. God is both judge, he's, he's God, he's divine, and he gets to make the rules. He gets to decide what is right. So now put all three of those together and read that verse. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In other words, Abraham was declared right before God, and all the evidence points to this logical conclusion that it was based on faith and not works. He just basically summarized verses 1 through 8 there. But then he goes on and he answers this question. In what way then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? One of the questions that was texted into us last week was, well, when did Abraham put his faith, his trust in God? And we might even say today, when then was Abraham saved? At what point? Was it when he, he went to sacrifice Isaac or was it before that? And this answers, it doesn't tell us exactly when, but at least gives us a little bit of the timeline that it happened before he was circumcised. Because he goes on and he says, well, uh, he answers his own question, it was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. Okay? So I would go back at least to the time when he left Haran, maybe before that, God had developed a relationship with him. Of course, we talked about God theologically steps back, he's outside of time, and for God, persons saved before the foundation of the earth. But when we're talking real time for you and I, we always want to put a a marker on the timeline and say, this is when the person was saved, right? Uh, We don't know exactly when Abraham was, but we do know, at least from this passage, and when you go and you read in Genesis, that it was before he was circumcised. What's the significance of that? Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised, right? You guys getting used to the word yet? This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about you and I today. The Gentiles 2,000 years ago, they were able to come and be brought into the church. They were able to have faith in Jesus Christ and even know that they could be saved just like Abraham was through faith. And not through works. That's the point he's making as he continues to move forward. So then he comes to verse 12. And he became the father of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Those are our few verses. There's not a lot there, but I think the point we want to make as, as you read it and, and you look through this whole... Uh, thought and covenant and agreement about around circumcision is simply this. Abraham was not saved. Abraham was not righteous because he was circumcised. He was righteous because he had faith in God. That's, that's the overall main point. Now, we've hit that several times already. And so I didn't want to 
hit that yet again and be like, okay, we're hitting this point over and over and over again. I want to take another point out of this text and draw some other conclusions that I think will help us as we think about our own relationship with God. It goes back to verse 11. I'm going to look at a couple verses here, a couple key words here, verse 11. It says, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. The point of the circumcision was to be a sign and a seal. It's to let the world know that you are the ones that God has made this agreement and this covenant with. And then you're sealed. That means that God's going to keep his promise. The idea behind a seal is much like a king when they they put their stamp and they they put a wax seal on a letter and it's not to be opened by anybody except the one it's addressed to. That's the idea of the seal here is that Jesus, well, in this case, God had given Abraham a seal and it's not going to be taken away by anybody except God. He's the one it's addressed to, kind of a seal for himself that these people, the Jews, are mine. So we can kind of come to that conclusion here. Abraham was given a seal to demonstrate to the world that God had made an agreement with him and his descendants. Now a question for us. Do Christians have a seal like Abraham? Do we have a seal like Abraham today? Well, we do. It's not the same one. And that should make many men proud, or happy, not proud, happy, right? As you're older. This is the seal. You guys aren't even laughing at that. Come on, you should be comfortable enough now, right? Come on. Let's not make this too awkward. Just, it's all right. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has put his seal, it's the same word, on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Ephesians 1 tells us this, In him you, talking about people who have placed their faith in Christ, also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We talk about the the Trinity in church sometimes. And is the Trinity in the Bible? No, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the concept is there. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know the Father as the head of the Trinity, kind of the authority figure. Jesus, as he's ta- walking upon the earth, he talks about the Father. I come to do these things. With his permission, I do these things. Even before he goes to be crucified, he's praying to the Father. Father, if you can remove this cup from me. He does all this to honor him and all those types of things. So he is the one, is kind of the headship over the Trinity. Then you have the Son who is, who is coming to provide salvation and takes the wrath of God upon himself. And then you have the Holy Spirit that's talked about. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I've come to do this earth, earthly ministry. I've come to sacrifice, to be the one who would go to the cross and die for the sins of the world, die for your sins. But when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a paraclete. Paraclete is similar to, well, at least the para part is where we get the word parallel from. And this is the way I remember it. I think of railroad tracks and two tracks running down together side by side. And that's the idea behind paraclete is that he is walking along with us through life. How long is he going to go? As long as the tracks go. 
He's our paraclete. He's the one who walks with us. He's the seal in our lives. So the Holy Spirit, is there a way then to identify the seal of the Spirit in our lives? And I think you could come up with several different points here. I'm just going to give you three that I think are helpful for me and hopefully are helpful for you as you think about the different ways you can tell, are you a child of God? And sometimes people have the question, like, how do I know? How do I know I'm following God? Well, maybe these three will help you and encourage you. One, you have to realize that at one point you were dead and your trespasses and sins. And the word dead here is a spiritual death, and it means dead. Okay? It's not like partial dead. It's not like you're in the hospital dead, laying on a table waiting to be revived. It's not like that. It's that you are dead, lifeless. There's no life in you, spiritually speaking. Okay? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. So one of the points here is that you're no longer dead, you are now alive. I once made the point and actually had somebody come up and and kind of argue, or actually, he just kind of said, I don't think you should say that because it makes people feel bad, but I'm going to say it because I think it's true. Okay? If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you ought to have some life, some spiritual life in you. And if you don't see spiritual life in you, you ought to be going back and reevaluating your faith in Christ. There ought to be some life, there ought to be some joy, there ought to be some peace in your relationship with God, because you know that you were once dead, separated from God, and now you are alive in Christ. That's an awesome thing. And if we're walking around and we're still looking at our own sin, going, man, I, just, I can't do it, I'm, I'm screwed up, I'm messed up, look at my sin, look how bad it is, then you don't know what it's like to be forgiven. Walk in the newness of life. See what God has done. You're alive in Christ. There ought to be peace. There ought to be joy. There ought to be passion. So we should no longer be dead. We should be alive. Now sometimes, and this is the point actually he was making, is we we associate that with feelings. And we don't always feel saved. I will agree. I don't always feel joy and peace. But I know I have it. And sometimes my, what I know and what I feel don't line up. And I have to go with what I know. And one thing I've learned in my life is that when I go with what I know, eventually my feelings will catch up. But if I go the opposite direction and I go with what I feel, then I'm always at tension because what I know and what I feel may not agree. So go with what you know and trust that your feelings will catch up. We're no longer dead. We're now alive. That's one way you can see Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. Second, Romans 12, 1 through 12, and we're going to get there. The first 11 chapters gives us a lot of foundation as to how a person is saved, uh, talks a lot about God and who he is and his character, talks a lot about uh, even the sovereignty of God and some of those questions that we wrestle with. And then you get into chapter 12, he says, now, or therefore... Brothers, in view of God's mercies, 
that he has towards us. I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifice. Put these things into practice. A holy, pleasing God. This is your true worship. And this is what he has to say. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, we become more transformed and less conformed to the world. We begin to identify and we begin to see this is what a transformed life for Christ looks like. This is what a life conformed to the world looks like. And we begin to have that discernment and we begin to see the difference. And we can identify, if I follow Christ, this is, this is how I should look. I should be more loving and gracious and kind. I should see the world with the sin that it has in it, and I should be able to identify it and stay away from it. And then I should be able to help other people know Christ, and I should have a passion for them and for serving and loving people so I can point them to Christ. And our world becomes less about ourselves and more about Christ. We're transformed. Are being transformed. But when we're conformed to the world, it's typically more about us, more about what we want. I'll even meet Christians at times that'll tell us, tell me, I have so much freedom. I'm so glad I have freedom in Christ to do what I want. Wait a minute. We have freedom in Christ, but the freedom we have in Christ is to do what God wants and what Christ wants. And it should be less about what I want and more about what he wants. We're no longer conformed to this age, but we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hopefully, as you look back over your life, by the way, this doesn't just happen overnight. This is, you know, many months and years built on top of the other. As you're growing in your faith, you can look back and go, man, five years ago, I thought that was okay to do whatever I was doing at that point. Now I realize that didn't bring honor to God. That didn't bring honor to Christ. And you're growing in your faith, and you're being transformed. And then the last one, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already reached the goal. This is Paul talking about being more like Christ. So I'm not perfect I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of, by, of it by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and then reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul here talks about how he's, he's continuing to move forward and reach forward to the goal that he has to be more Christ-like, and it's a constant battle. It's, it's something that he has to put effort into. Paul had some, I'm sure, bad memories in his head. He watched as Stephen was, was stoned to death, a martyr, someone who, who went out and lived out his faith. He was there. He saw other Christians die right before him. He saw Christians be pulled out from their homes and thrown in prison. He had a lot of those memories in his head, and I'm sure at times he thought back to those and had to think, man, how could God use someone like me? And then he had other memories as he was serving the Lord and, and as he was going out and sharing his faith, he was hauled off and he was stoned and he was left for dead. There were many times where people thought he was dead and yet he would come, people would come and nurse him back to health and then he went back out there. I don't know about you, but if I'd been stoned to death, 
it would be hard to get back out and do the same thing. Don't you think? He'd have to constantly forget what is behind, and he'd have to reach forward to what is ahead. He'd have to be motivated to go out and do the things that God wants him to do. Greg Laurie, the guy who's going to be preaching at Boise Harvest, he said this, This is what every follower of Jesus should be engaged in on a regular basis, sharing our faith, leading others to Christ, discipling them, and helping them to get grounded in the church, and then going out and doing it all again. That's true. And that's what Paul was doing. And that's what we should be doing. We're going to have to keep reaching forward. Paul says in that closing uh, portion of Scripture there in Philippians, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So here's his evidence, or he's the three that we've talked about. <clears throat> you ought to see that you're alive and not dead. That's the seal of the Holy Spirit demonstrating, showing the world you're alive, not dead. You're transformed and not conformed. You're becoming more Christ-like and less like the world. And you're pressing forward, leaving the past behind. Anything that might be haunting you from the past, any of those memories that drag you down, you should be able to leave behind. And that brings me just to our big idea for today. God gave you the Spirit to show the world just how awesome He is. Not how awesome you are, but how awesome He is. When you look back to Abraham and you think through all he went through and the circumcision and everything that's been mentioned here in this passage, it was there to show God made an agreement and a covenant with the people of Israel. These are my people. God has given us the Holy Spirit to show the world God is alive and well and working in us. A true story. I give you four examples from stories that I've heard in the past, but a true story. When I was over in Kathlam in Washington, uh, we were in a, a, a fishing town, and one of the guys that was there, his name was Jerry, and just an old, kind of gruff guy. I think he stood about this tall, and, uh, and he was known for being pretty mean. In fact, when he was a fisherman back in the, I don't know, 80s, 70s, 80s, and they were fishing out there, gillnet fishing, it was really uh, kind of a, a cutthroat business. If you, go, you can go up to Alaska today, I think it's similar. But you you'd lay out your net, and each person kind of had their own spot. And if you were to drift beyond your spot, or if you were to try to get out there before somebody else and grab another spot, it's possible you could get shot. And so he would tell me, he was like, yeah, I had, I had a couple pistols on my boat. And we would be yelling at each other. And there were people that knew, you do not cross me. Like that was his story. He's like, yeah. you know, he's telling me this as we're out there fishing. And uh, I'm thinking, well, this is, this is fun. I'm with a good guy, you know. And, and it was fun. I had a, a great, I learned a lot of things about fishing, gillnet, all that kind of stuff. It was a blast. But one of the things that became really obvious was Jerry got saved later in his life. And Jerry was the first guy when you walked into the church that would come and give you a big bear hug. And people in the community knew Jerry had changed. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. 
when your life is transformed. So the story that Amy read, this young woman had to learn that God loves her, even though she hated what she became. She finally saw how, God, how good God is when she heard about Jesus and how he paid for everything she had ever done wrong. She was overwhelmed, and now her story is helping other people see how great and loving Jesus is. What about the story Brandon read about the guy that was on meth? He finally heard that God didn't want his life to be messed up either. He didn't design the world to be such a mess. He had been blaming God, but God wasn't the one to blame. So he found forgiveness for all his sins, and now he's telling anyone who will listen about the amazing grace, compassion, and patience that God has towards us. What about the, Rachel, uh, the story Rachel read, the, the young lady with two moms? Uh, this lady soon discovered that everything she was living for revolved around herself, and she felt empty. So she talked to a close friend who seemed to have this life figured out. It's there that she heard about this loving God who has a plan to redeem her and use her for something greater than herself. She saw her sin for the first time, confessed it, and trusted Christ. She's now helping women from all backgrounds conquer sin and dig into God's word. The story Tim read, or gave, I should say. This man finally fell to his knees one night. He had heard the gospel so many times but never trusted it. He saw God only as a judge who would determine his final destination based on works and not as a savior who would save him from all his sin and his punishment. His pride had blinded him, but now he knows the truth. Now he's passionate about sharing the gospel because he knows it's the only way for people to know the one true God and have peace and eternal life. Well, those are just some examples. You have a story. You've seen God work in your life. And as you think about that, I want to challenge you to respond in a couple different ways. So we're going to give our couple minutes here to respond, to think through some things, and then we're going to uh, go ahead and do our, our questions and, and answers. But here's the questions for you to just kind of take a moment and reflect on and ponder and think about. By the way, uh, you might have found a response card this morning. If you'd like to respond to, to us, help have us pray for you, anything like that, feel free. You can write on that and let us know. If you want to answer one of these questions or say, Man, I'd love it if you'd pray for me in this area, then that's what we'll do. We'll be praying for you. So you can take a time to respond that way. And if you're visiting here, uh, we'd love to have some information just so we can follow up with you throughout the week. And uh, get together, a cup of coffee or something, and pray with you and just hear your story and what God's doing in your life. So here's how you can respond. What can you point to in your life that says the Spirit is alive and well and growing in you? Okay. What can you point to in your life that says the Spirit is alive and well and growing in you? And then two, how evident is your growth to others? In other words, do you talk to other people about how the Spirit is working. So you can uh, have a couple minutes to think about those things, be challenged with those things, respond as you'd like, and then, uh, and then we'll go ahead and do our, our text uh, questions and answers. There we go. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks, Pastor Ryan. That was a great message from a, what could potentially be an awkward 
passage. So yeah, it was great. Um, thank you for your sto- uh, for your questions, uh, going and sen- sending those in to us. Um, and if you still have a question, feel free to text it in. We got quite a few this morning, and so uh, we won't be able to get to them all, uh, but we will try to get to some of them during the week. And by the way, I don't um, I don't pick these in the order that they come in. I pick them in what I think we're going to be able to answer live, and then we do the more complicated ones during the week. Full disclosure, because there are some complicated questions you guys are sending in, and we want to make sure that we're answering them in a way that is. Uh, responsible biblically, like yeah. what does God's word have to say about this? And so, um, so if you texted in first, you may not necessarily be read first. But here, here's one. Can you? Kep- this is an easy one. Right. Can you explain again what paraclete means? Paraclete. Yeah, the idea is to to walk alongside of, uh, to come alongside of is the is the word. And so, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete, one who comes alongside us. Is the cool. simple way to. I've also heard helper, like yeah, he's helper. a helper. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep. all right, awesome. Number two. All right, uh, go for it. So dot. <laughs> what does that mean? So <laughs> dot dot dot. How did people know who was uh, who was circumcised and who wasn't? And who wasn't? Yeah. Oh yeah. Was this something yeah. that they shared openly about themselves? You know, it's, what a funny story is, is uh, I asked my parents that same question when I was a kid. Because I came home from church, and the pastor was talking about a circumcised Jew. And I was like, I asked mom and dad, it's like, how did they know that he was circumcised? And so their answer to me was, well, that's because they were a Jew. Um, basically, yeah, I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't broadcast it. Um, it was on the eighth day you were supposed to be circumcised. And so uh, that would be something that you would remember or you would just state. The same, the same could be said, and I'm, not, and I'm not equating these two ideas. I'm just stating this, that baptism today, I don't know that you've been baptized. I just have to take your word for it type of a thing. Um, so when I was there, I got to see people get baptized. I know, yes, those people were baptized. Um, if they were taken to the temple with their, their you know, um, eight-week-day-old uh, male, then maybe people had witnessed that and they would know, family would know and that sort of thing. But otherwise it would just be verbal. So, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, what can we say to those who do not have a transformative conversion experience, especially if they grew up in the church and accepted Christ at a young age? What if they walk away? What if they walk away? Yeah, I think those are um, complicated We'll get into Romans 9 and 10 where you start to talk more about a sovereign God and what that looks like, and we'll hit on some of those issues, I think, because it just kind of comes up. Okay, when God is a sovereign God and you talk about salvation, how does that, how does that work? And then you got chapter 10 where it talks about man has responsibility as well. The, the reality is you and I don't know a person's heart. We only know what they say. And so when a person from our point of view, when a person says, hey, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, we can go off of what they say and make a conclusion. Yes, okay, I believe. And then you might see fruit. The Bible talks about fruit. Um, And so you might say, okay, there's fruit that confirms that God is working in their heart and life. As far as a transformative uh, conversion, I think was the question. I don't know that, yeah, all people, when they immediately come to Christ or, like, the light bulb goes off, you're like, oh, now I get it. I'm forgiven of my sins, and I know that Christ has died upon the cross for my sins and risen from the dead. When that happens, I don't know. There's not an instantaneous transformation. I think there's a process. That's sanctification. So that's the moment where you know, like, okay, I'm justified by faith, 
and then I'm transforming and becoming more Christ-like, and that's a sanctification type process. So that's in a nutshell, quickly, you can talk about that in a whole message. But Yeah, and actually as you were talking, I was reminded of some people who said they placed their faith in Jesus at an earlier point in their life mm-hmm. and then later on and maybe they go through a long period where they're not discipled even and shown what it sure. looks like to live for Jesus and yeah. uh, and then later they are discipled and then their lives begin to change um, so when were they saved yeah. was it you know was it earlier or later and we would point to earlier uh, yeah. but they were just discipled later in life and so right yeah all right, well, that is all that we have time for. Um, there are a couple more questions. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then uh, we'll tackle them this week. So make sure you take a look at them. The first one is, what would you tell someone who is seeking God but is uncomfortable with going to church and facing judgment from others? So we'll tackle that this week. And then the other one is this, if based on one's backstory, spiritual truth doesn't make sense, does the Holy Spirit convince us of truth in the absence of logic, or does the Holy Spirit first lead our thoughts to the point of logic before convincing our heart? Fairly complicated question. We're going to tackle that this week. So, all right. Sounds all right. good. Yeah. Awesome, okay. Uh, one other thing. So we are, uh, our Roman series is broken up into four parts, and uh, we're, we're just about to get through the guilt part, which is the beginning, first four chapters. And then we will be jumping into chapter five, which is uh, about peace. And so we have these handouts. If you'd like to invite some people to church and just say, hey, we're going through the book of Romans. Awesome book. Talks about who Christ is and what he's done for us. Then uh, I'd encourage you to grab one of those and invite some people, coworkers, neighbors, family, whatever. Um, that'll be starting up on May, or excuse me, March 22nd. And uh, it'll be another 10-week kind of group that'll be lined up with our life groups as well. So uh, these are for you. I think they're at the welcome desk back there. Um, I don't have anybody nodding, but yes. All right, cool. Uh, So they're back there. So, all right. Well, thanks. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then uh, we we will close with some more worship and singing to our Lord. Father, what a blessing it is. Uh, that we know your son, Jesus Christ. And he has given us life. And while we are guilty of sin, he's also given us the joy and the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. Um, Comes through faith. And it's not based on our works. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ. And so we trust him and his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, we give our lives to, to you Take us, transform us, make us into the image of, of your Son, Father. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that's walking along with us. It comforts, it helps, and reminds us to be more transformed to you and less conformed to this world. Uh, we give you all the praise and glory. May this, this song be sung. May this offering be given as a, as a time of worship to you. We pray in Jesus' name.